I want to talk to you about managing the resources that God has given to us. Not just, not just your financial resources, but about managing all of the resources that God has given to us. Last Sunday, if you were here, we answered the question, can I trust God? We also talked about another question, can God trust me? Am I trustworthy? And today, I just want to share with you what we're going to call the trust test. This is a two-part sermon. I'm going to share half of it uh, this morning and the second half next week uh, as part of our Serve Sunday initiative. And I did that so that I wouldn't keep you here an hour and a half uh, for preaching each time today. Somebody say, thank you, Pastor. <laughs> but we're really going to work through I tried to cut out as much as I could And I thought, no, this is, this is what the Lord wants to speak We're going to work through this whole issue of trust And how we, as God's children How we do when we really take the trust test When we put ourselves to the trust test So I want to read as an introduction to this message this morning uh, An article that I read um, several years ago, and I came across it again in my study this week, and it's simply titled, The Road of Life. And uh, the author is unknown. You can find this multiple places if you Google it on the internet. The author is unknown. I would love to know who wrote it, but let me read it to you this morning, and I want you to just listen. At first, I saw God as my observer, my judge, keeping track of the things that I did wrong, so as to know whether I merited heaven or hell when I died. He was out there sort of like a president. I recognized his picture when I saw it, but I really didn't know him. But later on when I met Christ, it seemed as though life were rather like a bike ride, but it was a tandem bike, and Christ was in the back helping me pedal. I don't know just when it was that he suggested that we change places, but life has never been the same since. See, when I had control, I knew the way. It was rather boring, but it was predictable. It was the shortest distance between two points. But when he took the lead, he knew delightful long cuts, up mountains and through rocky places at breakneck speeds. It was all that I could do to hang on. And even though it looked like madness, he said, pedal. I worried and was anxious. And I asked, where are you taking me? He laughed and didn't answer. And that's when I learned that I was going to have to trust him. I forgot my boring life and I entered into every adventure with him. And when I'd say, I'm scared, He'd lean back and just touch my hand. He took me to the people with gifts that I needed. Gifts of healing, acceptance, and joy. He gave me gifts to take on my journey, and off we went again. And he would say, give the gifts away. They're extra baggage, too much weight. So I did to people we met, and I found that in giving, I always received. The journey continued and our burden was light. I did not trust him at first to take control of my life. I thought he would wreck it. But I found out he knows bike secrets. He knows how to make those sharp corners and how to jump clear off rocks and do things I could have never done if I were in control. 
And I am learning to shut up and pedal in the strangest places. I'm beginning to enjoy the view and the cool breeze on my face with my delightful companion, Jesus Christ. And when I'm not sure that I can do it anymore, he smiles and says, just pedal. You see, I think this morning that every one of us come to a place where we ask a very simple question. Can I really trust God? Can I trust God with my life? Can I trust God with my future? With my family? With my job? With my health? Can I trust God with my possessions? I think every one of us come to the place where we have to cross a line of either saying, yes, I do trust Him, or we stay back and we say, no, I'm not sure I'm there yet. I want to say this. It's at that trust test line that we come to that we either grow spiritually by crossing it and saying, yes, I'm going to trust God, or we back away from that line and we begin to shrivel in our soul. And we never reach our potential as a child of God. All because we were unwilling to let go and let God take control of our life. That is an old cliche that you've heard many, many times. Let go and let God. But can I tell you, it's much easier to quote it than it is to do it. To let go and to let God. So I'm trying to give you some handles this morning, some ways that you and I could learn to trust God more completely. And I want to share with you uh, a little acrostic of the word trust and what each letter stands for. And we're going to talk about a couple of these this morning. First of all, T stands for take an inventory. We need to be asking ourselves the bottom line question, do I really trust God? R stands for recognize God as your source. We need to realize that as we take inventory of our life, as we ask God to turn the searchlight on in our life, that everything that you and I have right now is a gift from God. You, we need to understand God's principles. Because until we understand them, we're always going to hold back in our trust toward God. S, we need to surrender everything to God. The moment that we understand the principles that God has for us, from that point on, it's just an act of surrendering to those principles. And then T, lastly, we need to test God's promises. I want to tell you, we need to look at God's word. We talked about it some last week. And we need to test his promises because it's in that testing that God will prove himself to you. When you when you quote the word, when you pray the word, and all of a sudden your faith begins to build, you will find out God is always true to his word. Somebody say amen. So the first thing we're going to talk about today is taking an inventory. Now listen, I've done already realized that these two next these next two Sundays are probably not going to be shouting Sundays. But just put your seatbelt on. And next week, before you come, you might want to take a spiritual tums, because some of us are going to get indigestion. Hello. And be ready to, to take the word of God 
and to digest it and to mark up to it. I'm going to get ahead of myself in this sermon because I, I've got it somewhere in my notes later on, but I'm going to go ahead and share it now. Because I heard something this week that stirred me, and actually, I already knew. I, I, had, a, I had a crazy week this week, a very, very unexpected, hectic week that started uh, last Sunday night uh, at the hospital with a family that does not attend this church, but I was the only pastor that they had nonetheless, and uh, just a devastating circumstance, and, and went through a visitation and a funeral this week, in addition to other things that, uh, in addition to those things, I had other things that were unexpected and unplanned that came up, and I just had this crazy week, and I, I knew that God was, was speaking to me in this direction, when I finally got time to sit down to study, I knew what direction God was taking me, but I wrestled with that all week, and I thought, oh, I just, I want to preach something easier, but I heard a comment this week, a a remark that was made that, boy, uh, in, um, in a ministerial context that just absolutely pierced my heart and it's rang in my ears ever since. And it simply said, a lot of today's largest churches, think about this, in, uh, in terms of, uh, of people, a lot of today's largest churches are a mile wide but only an inch deep. Process that for a minute. It stuck with me. A mile wide, lots of people, but only an inch deep spiritually. Can I tell you, we need to get off of the milk and digest the meat of the word. Say amen, somebody. We need to quit being fickle people. Hello, somebody help me. We need to quit being fickle people that get easily offended at things, that are easily hurt and easily distracted and, uh, and just easily, you know what, I think we're also uh, the churches as a whole, not us, the church as a whole. Though When I thought about that statement, I thought, yeah, we're probably amongst uh, the people that can also drown in an inch of water. How many knows what I'm talking about? The church is a mile wide and an inch deep, but we can also drown right in it. It only takes a few tablespoons of water to drown somebody in their lungs. Did you know that? The church is a mile wide and an inch deep. So let's digest the Word of God today. First of all, uh, we're just going to talk about three of these today. We're going to talk about taking an inventory uh, and an R and U out of this. But first of all, Psalms 139, verses 23 and 24. The psalmist said it better than I could. He says to God, search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Now three observations about the psalmist's prayer of inventory that I made are these. First of all, number one, only God knows everything about us. And I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that that's true. Only God knows everything about us. And it's obvious to me that the psalmist was saying, now listen to what he's really saying. He's saying, look deep into my heart and find out everything I'm thinking. In other words, the psalmist is saying, I'm not even sure myself what you may find down there. I don't even know at sometimes what I'm thinking, but look deep into my heart, and God, if it's there, reveal it to me. Let me take inventory of it and let me get rid of it. The second observation I made is that only God can lead me correctly. I said only God can lead me correctly. There can be some good people who love God that could lead me astray. 
There could be some good people who love God that could lead you astray. Only God, the psalmist, recognized that our tendency is to want to follow, right? There's a lot of people in the church today that are following things that are not of God. Say amen, somebody. I know it's going to get quiet right now. A lot of people following the masses. And I want to tell you something else that some of us ain't going to like. I know we're not before I say it. But when it comes to the Pentecostal churches, the church sometimes is still a mile wide and an inch deep. We want to follow people because they've got a great charismatic personality. We want to follow people because they make a lot of noise on the platform and down front. We want to follow people because they move and they dance and they jump and they clap. But we are a mile wide and an inch deep because some of the biggest praisers I've known, some of the loudest people I've ever heard in church services were some of the, here it goes, some of the most fickle, easily offended people I've ever come across in my life. They're highly emotional and worship but they're highly emotional otherwise. I want to tell you there comes a point where we need to get past emotionalism There's, there will still be an outward display of God's spirit don't get me wrong. There will still be a demonstration of the power of the Holy Ghost but we need to get past emotionalism and we need to get past inch deep water and get out where it's waist deep and get in water we can swim in. Because there we'll find where the river's flowing and the Spirit of the Lord is moving. Thirdly, the third observation that I made is we need to take an inventory. That taking inventory and trusting God begins with me. This whole issue begins with me. Literally here, it begins with me. I have to do personal inventory. I look at myself sometimes and ask myself, how am I doing in this area of trust? Proverbs 3 shows us just how personal this inventory has to be. I want to read a paraphrased version of what the proverb writer wrote in verses 5 through 9. He's saying, with all your heart, you must trust the Lord and not your own judgment. Always let Him lead you. And he will clear the road for you to follow. Don't ever think that you're wise enough. But respect the Lord and stay away from evil. This will make you healthy. That's what he says. A lot of people sick today. He says this will make you healthy. And you will feel strong. Honor the Lord by giving him your money. And the first part of all your crops. Then you will have more grain and grapes than you will ever need. That's powerful. I said that's powerful. You know need is relative. Hello. See back in the time when this was written. Because I want to testify to you. Now we're not rich. Don't get me wrong. By any stretch of the imagination. But ever since ever since Angie and I began to faithfully tithe many many years ago we didn't always do it, I've shared that with you before but many many years ago we've been married 24 years this year probably at least 18 years ago somewhere in that neighborhood uh, when we faithfully began to tithe we have always always had every 
everything we needed. We've always had a little bit left over. See, back, back then, all they were concerned about was grain and grapes. They were content to have food, raiment, food, clothing, shelter. They were content with that. The reason some people think they can't tithe is because in the society that we're living in, everybody thinks that they got to wear the best, drive the best, live in the best, go do the best, eat the best, hello. But they were content in the Word of God with what they needed. And I want to tell you, I've always had, we've always had what we needed and just a little bit more. God's always been faithful. God's always been good. So the proverb writer said that all trust starts with personal inventory. we got to take responsibility for doing our part. And when we do our part, what happens? You know the rest. God does His part. Secondly, R. We need to recognize God as your source. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18. He says, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant which He swore to your fathers as it is this day. We need to come to a place where we recognize God as the source of our life. We recognize that He knows everything. We recognize that there's nothing that is hidden from God. He is sovereign. God knows it all. Let me say that again. God knows it all. And He is the source of everything in our lives. And Paul in Colossians 1, 15-20 talks about God being our source. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross. As I was going through the word of God this week, I realized that there are so many places in the Bible that tell us without God, it's impossible. Now, I didn't give Lauren these scriptures, um, but Matthew 5 and 36 tells us that without God, we cannot change our hair. We can't add a single hair to our head. Now, you can go to Debbie and Shauna or Kayla, and they can give you extensions, or Haley, wherever she's at. They can give you extensions, but they can't truly add hair to your head. Only God can do that. Matthew 6 and 27 tells us that we can't add, listen to this, a single moment to our life without God being the source. I want to tell you just a little bit of that tragic situation that I was called into this past Sunday evening. A 48-year-old friend of mine was sitting at his house one minute Sunday afternoon watching the race and the next minute he was in eternity he had a massive heart attack was he overweight no very little if any 
he had quit smoking quite a while ago. You just look at the different, the factors, the various reasons. There, there's some things there. There's a history there, but still, 48 years old. And I thought, oh my goodness, much too soon. Much too soon. And as I was, you might even say like Jacob, wrestling with the Lord, God, what do you want me to say to this family? The Lord directed me to Psalms 139. Read the whole chapter. He tells us in that passage of Scripture that before we were even formed in our mother's womb, He knew the number of our days. Folks, young people, it's appointed to man and woman once to die. It's appointed. You have an appointment. After that is the judgment. You better be ready when that appointment comes. Here's the thing about that appointment. We don't get to decide when it is. And not only that, we don't get to have a clue when it is. I may not be in this pulpit next Sunday. Who knows? Somebody four years older than me just went home to be with the Lord last Sunday afternoon. What are you telling me, Pastor? I'm saying you can't add a single moment to your life without God being the source. Sure, God added, you heard about it a couple of weeks ago. God added 15 years to Hezekiah's life. What, how did he add it? When Hezekiah prayed and he called upon God. And if it hadn't been for God, God was the source of those 15 years that he added. Then James 4 and 14. Reminds us that we can't even say with certainty what's going to happen tomorrow without God as the source. You may have some big plans tomorrow, but they may never come to pass. You don't know what's going to happen. It's going to take precedence over that. We were supposed to have a family dinner this afternoon. But um, the people we were supposed to have dinner with, their niece, went home to be with the Lord last night. Unexpectedly. We don't ever know. What's going to happen? Acts 27 and 20 tells us that we can't save ourselves from disaster without God being our source. I just want to tell you, it's very humbling when we recognize where we are. And they tell us that William Beebe, who you may not realize who that is, that was a naturalist and a very close friend to President Teddy Roosevelt, spent many evenings with President Roosevelt. And after their meal of the evenings, they would go outside they would look at the stars in the heavens. And because he was a, a naturalist, uh, B.V. would look up and he would say things like, that is a galaxy as large as the Milky Way. It consists of 100 billion suns. And it is one of 100 billion galaxies. And then Roosevelt would grin and say, now, I think we realize we're small enough. I think we realize who we are. Let's go to bed. What was he saying? He was saying we're nothing in comparison to the God that created this universe. we got to recognize that God is our source. What are you saying, Pastor? If God blesses you, you better thank Him. Because God was the source. If God saves your lost family, you better celebrate. Because God was the source. If God gives you a new job and better money or a raise on your job, you better thank Him. You better recognize Him as the source. And you better do what God's Word commands to do with it. Amen? And that's how you recognize. If you don't do that, you're not recognizing that He's the source. 
Lastly, on the you, understand, or lastly for this morning, understand God's principles. Now, there's a lot to say here. Three reasons why Christians don't give more to God. Now, keep in mind, I'm not just talking about finances. Um, but we are going to talk a little bit about finances. First of all, they don't think that they can give and meet their own needs. Most of the time when we start talking about resources and finances, these people are thinking, this is the, the, the thought pattern, the train of thought in their mind. They say, well, I'm not sure that I can give and still take care of my family. I'm not sure that I can give and still meet the budget or meet my own needs. And so it alarms them and it scares them and they turn away from it. Number two, they don't know how to give. I could preach a whole message right here. We're living in a give me, give me, give me, give me society that thinks, I think I got this in my notes somewhere else and I'm ahead of myself again, but they think that everybody owes them something. I'll talk about that later on. I'll just say right now they don't know how to give. I was at Starbucks in London on my way to Lexington a couple weeks ago for a meeting at the state office for the state youth board and I went through Starbucks and I got up there and got ready to pay and uh, the, the, the lady at the window smiled and she said, and I didn't even pay attention to who was in front of me or anything, if I knew him or not, if it was you, thank you. But she said, you don't have to pay, it's already been paid for. And I said, really? And she said, yeah. And then, so then I said, well, I looked in my rearview mirror and I said, okay, I'll get theirs behind me. She said, you sure? I said, why? She said, it's about double what yours was. I said, that's all right. If the Lord's going to bless me like that, I, I have the app on my phone. That's how I pay. I said, if the Lord's going to bless me like that, let's see. If that's on there, they can have it. And she clicked it, and she's like, yep, that got it. Have a nice day. Uh, what, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that when somebody pays it forward for you, do it for somebody else. When somebody blesses you, bless somebody else. I'm just going to throw something out there for good measure that ain't in the Bible and it don't mean a hill of beans to some people but my goodness, if the Lord has blessed you with all kinds of new stuff then give some of your old stuff to somebody else. Hello? Bless somebody else. The Lord will bless you more for it than he will for making sure that you get top dollar out of it. Say amen somebody. They, and then the third thing is they don't plan to give. And because they lack planning they're always in an emergency. Now, we have a policy in this church. We're going to help people if they need help. But after we help them once, then if they need help again, they get to sit down with me because not only am I a pastor, but the Lord has blessed me on a job that I've worked with finances for over 25 years. They're going to get to sit down with me, and I'm going to ask some hard questions. I'm going to ask for proof of everything that's coming into their house and how everything's going out. We're going to talk about it, and we're going to decide about ways that they can manage it. Hello. Because... God's money is for God's kingdom, and we want to be benevolent and help people that are in need. But if all we do is just, listen, there's a modern theology today that thinks that we, and I don't even know where this kind of thinking comes from, but thinks that not only is the church, but society as a whole is responsible to take care of people that don't have enough gumption to try to take care of themselves. Hello, somebody. That's not teaching people the principles of the Word of God. The Word of God tells me that he who will not provide who won't work to provide for their family is worse than an infidel. 
Oh, you can't preach that in political platforms. They'd behead you today. That's what the Word of God says, though. Another scripture tells us that we ought to earn our bread by the sweat of our brow. We ought to work it out. My Lord, this ain't in my notes, but that's good preaching, Pastor. Our young people need to know working ain't fun, is it? Can I hear some, can I hear some adults that have worked, some people that have already done the adulting? Working's not really fun. It's no fun to get up every morning and go to work. It's really no fun to get up every morning and go to work and always have to put a smile on your face and work with the public sometimes. But if you want to eat, you got to work. If you want to keep your job, you need to do a good job. You need, Lord, this ain't in my notes, but God must want me to say it to these young people. You need to be faithful, you need to be on time, and you need to work and not be lazy. Say amen, somebody. That's good biblical teaching. It's good biblical teaching. People don't plan to give. They're always in an emergency. And if that's you, I would encourage you, of course, to read the Word of God and take heed to what I'm saying, but we did a class here a few years back. I would encourage you to read a book called The Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. It'll be a great help to you. It can change your life. Stewardship principles that make a difference very quickly. First of all, the who's in charge principle. God's the owner. I'm the manager. And that basically says, who's going to run my life? Psalms 24 and 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Number two, the give and grow principle. Practicing stewardship produces growth. In his book titled Stewardship, Luke Timothy Johnson made this profound statement. He said, some say dedicate the heart and the money will follow. But our Lord put it the other way around. He said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He said this, I didn't, so don't get mad at me. If your treasure is dedicated, your heart will be dedicated. If your treasure is not, it simply won't, and it's as simple as that. Then, he, then there are several ways that practicing good stewardship enables us to grow. Because first of all, we discover our spiritual gifts. Stewardship, not just of our finances, of our time, our talent, and our treasure. We discover our spiritual gifts. Uh, if you've never been through Connect 101, that's one of the things that we do. It increases our faith. We become spiritually sensitive. We become fruitful for God's kingdom. We receive a blessing from God, and then we're a blessing to others, and we make a lasting contribution. The third thing I want to share about stewardship is the do-it-now principle. Stewardship deals with our present resources. Samuel Johnson said, the person who waits to do a great deal of good at once will never do anything. Did you hear that? The person who waits to do a great deal of good at once will never do anything. Now for all of you procrastinators out there, anybody just be honest, transparent, and say, I'm a, oh Lord have mercy. I'm a procrastinator. Here's a funny poem I read recently. I had to laugh at it said, procrastination is my greatest sin. It brings me endless sorrow. I'm going to stop doing it. Perhaps I'll start tomorrow. <laughs> I know that's funny. Can I ask you a question? A serious question? How long are you going to wait before you find out what your spiritual gifting is? How long are you going to wait before you use it? For the kingdom of God? How long are you going to wait with all the resources that God has given you before you do something about what you've already been given right now? See, there's a tendency for us to say, well, sometime later, I think I'm going to find out what my spiritual gift is. You know, down the road, a little bit later on, I'll start using it. 
But what are we doing with these gifts right now? Everybody in this room has a gift. Everybody in this room has a gift. You may feel insignificant, but you're not. Everybody has a gift. Everybody has a contribution to the kingdom of God. What are you doing with those gifts right now? See, it's what we do with our present resources that God is concerned about. God can't bless you with more if you're not faithful with what He's already given you right now. That's one of the many reasons that we offer Connect 101 because it helps you find your spiritual gift. If you don't know what your spiritual gift is, can you imagine appearing before God who gave you that gift and He looks at you and He wants to know why you didn't use that for the kingdom. And you never even took the time to discover what those gifts were. They'll come to the music this morning. I can't imagine Christians. This is, this is something that perplexes me. I know I'm a pastor and I think differently than a lot of good Christian people. But I just can't imagine Christians who just sit in pews on Sundays and somehow think they deserve a purple heart for showing up. Hello. They pat themselves on the back. I went to church today. Good job. Can I tell you, if you're really saved, you'll want to go to the house of God. If you know, if you've been taught anything, you'll want to be in the house of God. And when we think about that comment that I made earlier, that I heard this week, some of today's largest churches are a mile wide, but only an inch deep. Wow. Wow. What are your gifts? Do you know what they are? Are you using them? Because I'm going to say something kind of tough right now. One of these days we're going to be held accountable for those things. There's going to be a day when you and I stand before God. You can jot this scripture down. I didn't give it to Lauren, but look up 1 Corinthians 3 and 12 later on. You'll know what I'm about to say. There's going to be a day when we stand before God. And I'm either going to stand before Him with gold and silver and precious stones... Or I'm going to be standing before him with wood, hay, and straw. You say, what's that mean? Look it up. Read it. 1 Corinthians 3 and 12. If we aren't careful, some of us are going to stand before him with something that we could have had a bonfire with. But it was not effective for the kingdom of God. So if we're going to pray it forward, we've got to pray. But then we've got to make ourselves available to God. When you do simple things like making yourself available, even in the altar service, making yourselves available just to pray with somebody, do you know how impactful that is for the kingdom? Do you know how much more comfortable it makes somebody feel that comes to receive something from the Lord when somebody else kneels beside them? I wish I'd have given Lauren the picture and put it on the screen this morning, but during the last service of D-Now, I took a picture that I posted on Facebook. It's a panoramic picture that you can view. I witnessed all of these students that came to the altar and prayed. And they got in the closest huddle you can imagine. Every single one of them, just right over top of the other. And I looked to see what was going on. Are they just looking around talking to each other? Some of them did when they first knelt. 
Once they got situated, everybody's head was down. They were talking to the Lord. Can I tell you, were they, were they of the Pentecostal faith? No, most of them weren't. Can I tell you, they've got some things better down pat than we do. That's all I'll say about that. They got some things better down pat than we do. We need to make ourselves available to God and try to be difference makers in other people's lives. If you'll stand with me all over the room this morning, I'm going to share this and we're going to open this altar. One of the things that excites me about our church is that we have a vision beyond this local church, beyond this local body. And listen, I want you to hear me say this because this is important. I've had some discussions this week about where we are as a church and what sometimes, not just things that I have said and shared, things that have been said to me, sometimes we can inadvertently make a decision that says, this is it. This is as far as we go. If we're not careful with the decisions that we do make. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying I don't ever want to have a church for ourselves just for ourselves to sit in these seats and stare at each other until Jesus comes look around this is an 845 crowd half the world didn't even get up on Sunday morning by the time this service had started and the 11 o'clock is always bigger I don't ever want us to have a church for ourselves to sit in our seats and just stare at each other until Jesus comes we're not only going to keep growing in our own personal lives but we're also going to keep growing to reach this community to reach and work the harvest that I believe God wants to send us listen to me the vision of God is not for us it's about Him and did you hear me? It's about Him and them, those who are outside this building. And it's our job to continue to pray it forward. The vision is for the kingdom, and that's the only kind of vision that will last. If you'll bow your heads with me all over the room this morning. First of all, I want to ask, if there's anybody seated in this room today that you have never accepted Christ as your Savior, or let me phrase the question this way, if you don't know that you know, if you left this building and died today, you don't know that you know where you would spend eternity. If that's you, I want you to just very quickly slip your hand up and put it back down all over this room. Slip your hand up. Nobody looking around. Slip your hand up and put it back down all over this room if that's you. Anybody in the room today? All right. The rest of you can look at me. Now we're going to open this altar and we're going to pray. And I want to invite you to come. Because part of being a healthy church is evaluating our complete trust in God and evaluating can God trust us so I want to ask you this morning anybody who will that will come and say pastor I want to take this trust test for myself and I, I call Freedom Point home I want to see the church healthy I'm willing to pray it forward I'm willing to let go and let God by trusting him and his promises I want you all that will come and join us all over this altar this morning as they sing and then if anybody wants special prayer let me know we're going to do that as well as you come they're going to sing.